It's good to be back with you this morning. I missed you guys last week, although I did hear that Joel killed it. It's, I don't know if it's a good sign whenever, as a pastor, like, you miss a week, and then, you know, as soon as church is over, you're getting, you get, like, 10 text messages about how the guy that replaced you did and how awesome he was, and you're like, man, this is, is this a sign? What's going on here, right? <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to be in, continuing the book of John, we're going to be in John chapter 11 today, and we're going to be talking about a resurrection today. We're going to be talking about a resurrection, and not just uh, any resurrection. We're not going to be talking about, um, like, like, one of those weird, like, you ever hear, like, those weird news stories about somebody, like, a resurrection or something happening in some weird part of the country or weird, you know, weird part of the world, and you're like, I don't know if I believe that, but that's kind of, I don't know, maybe that might be some, like, black magic going on or something. Like, I remember... Uh, a couple years ago, reading a story in the news. This was in the news, okay? I kid you not, this was in the news. I remember reading a story in the news about this girl in, I believe it was Brazil, who had passed away. And she had passed away, and they had to, they had to do this deal where they kept her body in this room, and the family would kind of hang out in that room, room and mourn there for a few days. And after about two days, the girl, remember, she was dead. The girl sits up, looks around the room, and says, I'm thirsty lays back down and goes back to sleep. That's freaky, <laughs> right? And so, of course, the family's going, oh, my gosh, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. So they go get some water, and I wish there was a happy end of the story, but it turns out she was, after all, in fact, dead. We're not talking about that kind of resurrection today. We're talking about the resurrection that Jesus preached. I don't know if that story was true or not, but it, it freaked me out, man. But anyway, so we're going to be in John chapter 11. And if you were here last week, you're saying John 11, we were just in John 9. Well, the reason why we're moving past chapter 10 is because about six months ago, or maybe a little bit, eight months ago, we did a three-part series on the Good Shepherd. And so that's actually on the podcast. So if you, if you missed that and you want to check it out, go check it out on the podcast on iTunes or Android uh, at the River DFW. So I know that... Um, just in case you want to check that out. So we're going we're gonna to jump into the story of Lazarus. So we're going to be in John 11. And, and as we kind of pick up, what's kind of been going on is Jesus gets word from Bethany, from Mary and Martha, send him word that his friend Lazarus is sick, is ill, is going to die. And this to, to, for Jesus, this isn't just hearing about somebody that's, that's dying or somebody that's passing away. This is someone that he loves deeply. This is somebody that even though they may not have been a blood relative, were family. You have people like that in your life? People that maybe you've known them for one year, two years, or maybe you've known them for 20 years, and maybe they're not blood, but they're family as much as anybody, right? I think we all have people in their life. That's who Lazarus was to Jesus. He was somebody that was family, that he was going to be devastated over, that hearing of his passing, hearing that he was going to die, was going to hit him hard, right? And so Jesus does exactly what you don't expect him to do. Jesus hangs out for two more days. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? He hears that his friend's sick, hears that his friend's dying. He's only about a mile and a half away in Bethany, which would have taken about a day's journey to get there. And instead of going immediately, Jesus waits for two more days. And then when he does get ready, he tells the disciples, say, hey, guys, we're about to go. We're going to head to Bethany. And the disciples argue with him. The disciples are like, Jesus, we don't, we don't want to, are you sure this is a good idea? And the reason why is because Bethany is the place they keep trying to kill Jesus. Like if y'all if remember in John 7, they try to stone him in Bethany. In John 8, they try to stone him. In John 10, guess what they did? Well, they tried to arrest him, but then they tried to stone him. <laughs> and so they're looking, they're like, Jesus, we don't know if this is a great idea. And Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. 
We're heading to Bethany. And I love uh, Thomas. He's kind of most famous for, for, for being doubting Thomas. But I really appreciate him here because he's, some people read it differently, but I read it as kind of sarcastic. But doubting Thomas, whenever Jesus says, all right, we're going to go, Thomas goes, well, we might as well go with him and die too. I just read it. That's what he says. He's like, well, he's going. We might as well go and die with him. <laughs> okay, Thomas. <laughs> Thanks for the good attitude here, right? So they head out, and it would have taken them about a day. They get there, and when they arrive, they show up, and they see this awful scene, this sad scene, this scene of devastation, this scene of people who are hurting, this scene of people who are in pain. Like they do at this time, they do funerals a lot differently than we do funerals. I was at a funeral last week and it was a, it was a, it was a good service, you know, it was a nice memorial with a man who had passed away. But, you know, it was kind of like a couple of clips, video clips, it's a slideshow, somebody gets up and says something and then you kind of move on. Here, they do it right, man. They wait seven days and they bring in whalers. Not somebody catching fish, like, like people who are like crying and sobbing and they bring in the whole community and everybody just kind of weeps for a while. And not like, not like the crying of like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm talking about the ugly cry. You know, I'm talking about the ugly cry. You know, I'm talking about, you go and you look, you know, you've done this where you go and you look in the mirror and you look at yourself. You're like, you're like, man, I look bad. Don't act like you haven't done that. The ugly cry, right? These are people who are sobbing, who are devastated. And Jesus walks into the scene and he sees people who are heartbroken, who are mourning for days for their friend Lazarus, who's, who, remember, this is a community, everybody would have known him. This, is, this isn't just some random guy that passed away. This isn't us reading in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the obituaries. This is someone that they would have known, they would have loved, that they would have been heartbroken over. So Jesus walks into the scene, and that's where we're going to pick it up, right at verse 19. And I'm just going to kind of read through a couple of conversations that Jesus has with Mary and Martha, and then we're going to talk about uh, kind of what we can take from that, what we can learn from this, and just the power of what Jesus does in this resurrection. Verse 19, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha takes off, Mary hangs back. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give it to you. I like Jesus' response here. This is what... When we talk to Jesus, this is what we'd like to hear. Verse 23, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. 24, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. They, they believe kind of in a resurrection, kind of like we do at the end times kind of deal. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. This is his next great I am statement. I am the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Emphasis there, I love that. Will never die, ever, exclamation point. And then he asks her, this is interesting, do you believe this? He tells her, I am the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me, the one who has a relationship with me, the one who's been saved by grace through faith, even though they die, will never die ever. Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe? What he's asking her is, do you believe that I have power over death? You believe that you came to me and you're saying, hey, Jesus, if you had been here, you could have saved him from death. You believe that I can heal the blind. You believe that I can heal the leper. You believe that I can tell a man to get up and walk when his legs are broken and he will. But do you believe that I have power over death? Martha, do you believe this? 
and she gives the church answer. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes to save the world. Notice she didn't say, I believe you can raise a man from the dead. Notice she didn't say, I believe you're the right, yeah, you're the Son of God, yada, 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 yes, Jesus. It's kind of like when we pray and ask something boldly in faith and they go, but your will be done, Jesus. I'm not making light of that, but sometimes that's our cop-out, right? God, I want this. I believe you're calling me to this. I believe that this is what you're telling me to do, but just in case it's not, your will be done, right? Just in case. Then he tells her, hey, go get Mary. Verse 28, having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. Uh, Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. It's interesting that she calls him the teacher when they're, these people are like family and she still is calling him the teacher. As soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her. So she's got people, you know, friends and family like we would, consoling her, uh, got up quickly uh, and went out. So So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry. When Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same response. Jesus, if only you had been here. If you, if you had been here, I know you could have saved him, Jesus. But again, she's not asking him to raise him from the dead now. Like, I would hope, I would, I would, I would hope that if we were there knowing the power of who Jesus is now in hindsight, if Jesus was on the scene, we would be like, Jesus, raise him up. You're here. Get him. Go get him. Get him. Take him back. Right? nobody's saying that. Nobody's expecting him to raise him from the dead. Everybody's just saying, man, if only you had been here. When Jesus saw her crying, verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry. Pay attention to that. He was angry in his his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. So they kind of go over to the tomb. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes even also kept this man from dying? It's pretty consistent, isn't it? If only he was here. If only he was here. If only he was here. So Jesus walks in. He sees Mary and the people weeping. It moves him. He sees the ugly crying that's going on, the people that are devastated, that he's upset. And the Bible says that as he's surrounded by these people who are in brokenness, it says that he got angry and is deeply moved in his spirit. That is so interesting to me. That is so, so interesting to me. And, and because you're like, who is he upset at? Who's he mad at? Don't, don't they have a right to be sad that their brother has died? Don't they have a right? Like, why is, he, why is Jesus angry? And sometimes I've heard pastors or, or teachers or pre, whoever talk about this, and they're like, well, he wasn't really angry. It just means that his, his spirit was stirred. He was, deeply, he was deeply moved. He got emotional. And he did get emotional, but he was also angry. Like, the word there means, well, it doesn't actually mean angry. <laughs> it's a really interesting Greek verb, and it's really cool. I learned this this week. And when I tell you what it means, you're going to be like, this is out of left field. This doesn't even make any sense. The word there that they use for angry is the Greek, uh, it's a classical Greek word or verb that's used to describe the snort of a war horse. 
I mean, why didn't the Bible say that? When Jesus saw it, he was the snort of a war horse <laughs> and deeply moved. What's the imagery that the Bible is trying to paint there? What's going on is what they're, they're trying to describe that, that idea, the snore wars. What, let me paint this for you. What's going on is imagine the war horse who's looking at his enemy, who's preparing for battle, who's seeing the enemy across the planet, and he's stomping his feet, and he's doing that, getting ready, baby. I'm getting ready. We're going in. Yeah, that's funny, right? The snort of a war horse, what's going on is Jesus is looking at the devastation around him. And it says, the Bible says, literally what this word translates to for a human being is angry, irate, irritated, an outburst of anger, fury. What's going on is Jesus is seeing the devastation around him. He's seeing the pain around him. He's seeing the hurt around him caused by death and ultimately by sin. And Jesus is ticked. Jesus is mad. And what's going on is Jesus is getting his war horse on. Jesus is getting ready for battle. Jesus is getting angry. His spirit is deeply moved. And pay attention to the next thing he says there. It says he was angry. He's deeply moved. The next thing he says is, where is he? Where is the body? Because what Jesus is saying is, we're about to get ready to go take care of business. He's looking at the hurt. He's looking at the devastation. He's looking at the pain caused by death. And what he's saying to death and Satan is, you're not about to do this to my children. He's not mad at Mary. He's not mad at Martha. He's mad at evil. He's mad at sin. He's mad at death. The next word he says is, where have you put him? He's looking death in the eye and saying, I'm coming for you. And man, I love that. To me, that is so cool because we have Jesus as life and he's come to defeat death and he's outraged at the, what the pain the enemy has caused. And Jesus is saying, where is he at? I'm about to demonstrate my power over humanity's foe. I'm about to demonstrate my divine will, my divine power over death, hell, and the grave. Where is he at, baby? Let's go take care of business. Man, I love that. I love this because we have a God who looks at the pain and the chaos created by sin and death. He looks at our enemy and he says, you're not going to do this to my children. You're not gonna, I'm not going to allow this to happen to my children. And I love this because what this translates to for you and me is a God who looks down on us and isn't up in the sky uncaring. It's a God who looks at devastation. He looks at the pain in our lives. He looks at us when we weep or when we're walking in difficult times, when we're hurt the deepest, and he's moved by it. And he says, I love my children. This hurt. He's looking at you like a father looks at his hurt child and says, I'm not going to let this happen. Whatever I can do, I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to heal this, and I'm going to restore this. He's a God who looks at the enemy and he doesn't shrink back. He looks at the enemy and he gets angry. And he says, I'm going to fix this. Man, that's good, people. We have a good, good, good God. He walks with you in your brokenness. He walks with you in your pain. He walks with you when you're suffering and he comes to heal, he comes to restore. And if nothing else, he walks with you to help you get through it. And he's come to heal it. 
And here's, here's the thing about the, that healing is sometimes it's not a quick fix, and sometimes we don't even see the fix in this lifetime. I know that's not what you wanted to hear. But what you need to know is you are never, never, ever, ever, ever alone. We have a God, we have a Savior who looks down on you, who loves you, who cares for you, who is moved with compassion, who walks with you. And even though it may not be fixed in this lifetime, it will be fixed because there's finality in the cross. Ultimately, there's victory in the cross. So whatever happens in this lifetime can't touch you in the next one. There's finality in the cross. There's victory in the cross. And even though he raised Lazarus for a moment, he can raise us forever. And we can have final victory over death. The cross is our healing. The cross is our hope. The cross is our life. Praise God, man. Verse 38, then Jesus, angering himself again, so he's angry, he weeps for Lazarus, and then he's moved to anger again. Same, same verb there comes to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone was lying against it, kind of like the pictures you see of Jesus with the big rock, and they got to roll it away, right? Remove the stone, Jesus said, and Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. And I love this. I don't say this often, but I actually really like the King James translation better here because the King James says, Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) It's been four days. Just straight to the point, Jesus, if you open that thing, it's going to smell bad. (laughs) It's not going to be good. And even though that's funny, it's more to the point of they're speaking to a Jewish superstition. There is a Jewish superstition that said that after somebody dies for three days, the soul literally hovers around the body and waits. So the, the soul hangs around the body and waits for three days, hoping, looking for an opportunity to reenter into the body. And so what she's saying to Jesus isn't so much you open this thing up, but it's going to smell bad. What she's saying is Jesus is too late. The soul's gone. There's Jesus, there's nothing you can do here. Yeah, you're the resurrection of life. Yeah, you're the son of God. But Jesus, it's been four days. If you'd come at three, if you come at two, it's been four days, Jesus. You open that thing, it's going to smell bad. He's decaying. It's too late. It's too late. Verse 40, Jesus gives her a little reminder. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? How many times has Jesus said that to me, man? God, I'm doubting. God, I don't know. Mike, what did I tell you? And for my personality, it comes, like some of you guys, Jesus might speak softly, you know, move you. Well, it's okay. Oh, to me, he just slaps me because that's what I need. Mike, what did I tell you? So they moved the stone, then Jesus raised his eyes and said, and he says this for the people around him, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I say this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. That would have been a scene right there, right? Jesus said to him, This is Jesus' drop the mic moment right here. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. I love that. He comes walking out. Loose him, baby, let him go. Praise God, right? This is one of the coolest stories in Scripture. This is one of the, to me, this is one of the most epic stories in Scripture. And even if you just want to get real honest about it, this is one of the most unbelievable stories in Scripture. 
man had been dead for four days and he raised him back to life? What? Ultimately, this story is about a few different things. I love it. <laughs> Ultimately, this story is about a few different things. The first thing we kind of already talked about, which was God's deep compassion for his children. His deep compassion for you and his anger towards death, hell, damnation, and the suffering of this world. Look, the suffering in this world, people look around, they say, why, do, why is there suffering? Why is there bombings? Why is there this? Why is there that? And they blame God for it. God hates it. God's not okay with it. He, ha he has hatred towards the suffering in this world. He wants to bring healing for it, right? So first and foremost, this is a story about God's deep compassion for his children. Secondly, I would say that this is a story about God expanding the faith of the reader. Expanding the faith of the people who were there that day, right? Hey, Mary, you believe I can do this? Martha, you believe I can do this? Sure. Okay, whatever. All right, I'm going to have to prove it. Let me show you just how great I am. Let me show you just how big I am. Let me show you exactly what I can do. This, to me, is a story about expanding our faith. Why does he wait so long to go see him? Why doesn't Jesus immediately, as soon as he hears that Lazarus is dead, head towards, heads, head towards Bethany? I believe it's because of that three-day rule. I believe it's because Jesus knew about that superstition, and Jesus wanted to make sure that when he got there, Lazarus stinketh. And when they said to him, Jesus, he's dead, dead, man. There's nothing you can do. I believe he did that on purpose. There's nothing you can do. Watch me. They believed he could do miracles, but none of them expected him to do this. None of them thought he could do this. Jesus asked Mary, do you believe? Do you believe that I have power over death? And if he had arrived earlier, they wouldn't have seen his power over death. I love this, man. What this story is about is taking their faith to the next level. What this story is about is taking your faith to the next level. Jesus was about to explode their faith. Like imagine if you were there that day and you saw a man who was dead for four days come walking out of the tomb, your faith is about to hit the next level, don't you think? It's about to change the way you see Jesus. It better by the way, the Jewish leadership tried to kill him again later on. They hear about this story and they, they put out a warrant for his arrest. Have you ever, have you ever had something like this happen to you? Have you have a faith story? Do you have a story like this? Maybe he didn't raise somebody from the dead, but do you have a story in your life where God came in and he moved and he did something miraculous and you're going, I don't, I don't know how he did that. Maybe it was a, a job that you got, or maybe it was somebody that he healed, or maybe it was somebody who got saved that you didn't think would ever get saved. Like as a preacher, you're not supposed to admit this, but there's some people who are like, I don't know, man, I don't know, right? I mean, not for me, other preachers, I'm sure. But we need those stories, don't we? We need those stories about, that expand our faith. Like there's a really cool story I, I heard a couple, uh, about two months back, I was at this conference and the preacher of the conference was telling the story and he said, he was talking about his dad and he said his dad was diagnosed uh, with a, a tumor on his face. So he has this tumor on his face and at first they tell him, hey, it's terminal. And so of course he's devastated. They, they say, well, we're gonna give it a shot. We're gonna try to remove it. And so they, they, the doctors remove it 
And the doctor calls him and says, hey, Chris, man, it's, it worked. He's going to live. It's, it's awesome. We're so thankful. But hey, here's the thing. Um, your dad will never speak again. He's going to have to relearn how to, uh, to eat. He might even have to relearn how to walk. Like it's going to be a long, 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 long road to recovery. Like right now, he literally doesn't have the muscles and nerves in his face to move his mouth. That's how much it was on. They had to take off that much, right? So he says, okay, hey, I'm just thankful that he's alive. And so he goes up to the hospital room to go see his dad. He walks in the room to see his dad and his dad's sitting up eating ice cream. Hey, Chris, how you doing? The problem with this story is that the doctors had forgotten to tell his dad that he wasn't supposed to be doing these things yet. He didn't know he wasn't supposed to be talking. <laughs> he didn't know he wasn't supposed to be able to eat. He called the doctors and said, hey, he's, he's eating. He's, I, I don't know what to do. And, and the doctor said he literally does not have the muscles and nerves in his face to do this. And the, the hospital declared it a medical miracle. They could not explain it. That would expand my faith a little bit in my God. Don't you think? How about this one? Last week I was in Butler uh, doing a wedding. And, and when I was there, there was a guy there in Butler that he's just one of those mean old honorary guys and somebody that didn't just not like, like didn't, wasn't just not a Christian. Like he didn't like Christians. You know what I'm talking about? Like he, he was just kind of mean. He came to church every week because his wife made him. Literally, she made him. But he was just mean. Like I'm pretty sure that when I would walk by him, he would cuss at me under his breath. Like I, I, you think I'm joking, but I'm pretty sure that he did. Well, so anyways, I'm in Butler. And I'm talking to say, hey, man, did you hear what happened to Danny? No, what happened to Danny? Danny got saved. What? You talk about a story that would drop your jaw to the floor. Like, that's almost more amazing to me than the other story. He got saved. Life changed. In the last year, he's read through the Bible twice. Like, it's amazing. It's a totally different person. We all need stories like that for our faith. What's your story? What's your faith story What's your miracle story? We need them. We need to be able to look back on them. We need to be able to remember them. And we need to be able to call on them. Because here's the thing is life is hard. You're going to walk through hard things. And whenever you go through those difficult situations, you need to be able to pull back and remember God's faithfulness from before. Because here's the thing about the miracle is everyone wants the miracle. Everyone wants to be the miracle story. Everybody wants to have a miracle story, but no one wants to be in a situation that necessitates a miracle. And sometimes in order to see the miracle, you're going to have to walk through the situation that makes the miracle necessary. You need to be able to have the faith, and you need to be able to remember that our God walks with you, that he's just as upset about it as you are, that he loves you. He's walking with it, with you through it. Sometimes we need to have our faith expanded. Sometimes we need to remember that we have a God who raises men and women from the dead. And not only physically, but spiritually. And remember that spirit, the spiritual resurrection is even more incredible than the physical resurrection. Salvation from sin? Are you kidding me? Praise God, man. Praise God. But I would say this as well, that I don't think that the miracles are just about the bad times. I think God does miracles in our life to do incredible things. I think he grows and builds and uses our lives to perform miracles. And what I mean by that is I believe God puts God dreams in your heart. I believe God puts God dreams in your soul and your spirit. And he wants to do a miracle and use you to make miracles happen. And sometimes we don't have enough faith to walk through it or walk to it or go through it, right? 
Like, I believe God puts God dreams in our hearts and our souls and our spirits. And something that happens to us, a really bad thing that happens to us sometimes is we, as we get older, we believe less. And I know that's like, not that we believe in God less, but like, you remember the, the faith of a child? How you believed anything could happen? There was like a magic there. And as you get older, like, ah, oh, the world kind of hits you and you believe that he can do less. You believe that there's less. No, God wants to do and perform miracles in our world. And I believe he puts God dreams in your soul. The river church to me is a God dream. The river church is a dream that God put in my heart and many of your hearts. And I believe we need to chase after those God dreams, right? God wants to use those dreams to expand our faith, not just for that we're the beaten up old Christians needing God to do another miracle, but so we're the Christians that are victorious saying, God, I want you to build this. I want you to do this. I want you to transform this. I want you to change this. And so we're not speaking miracles of like just him healing, but miracles of salvation, miracles of transformation, miracles of like, there, I didn't think that could happen, man. And so for me, God's been expanding my faith and my prayer for, for, for what I believe is my God dream, the river church, is God's been making, he's been making me pray this, man. He's been, I've been praying that God would give me a vision and a dream for our church that would be impossible if he doesn't do a miracle. Dreams and visions for our church that are so far outside of our means and our abilities that the only way it happens is through the miracles of God so that the only thing that happens when it happens is God gets the glory. For me, I want the River Church to impact thousands of lives. I want the River Church to see souls saved, lives transformed, people set free. I want to plant more churches. I want to find homes for orphans. I want to set women free from sexual trafficking. I want to build water wells all over the world in the name of Jesus. And maybe most importantly, I want to help people in this community who don't love Jesus, who hate Jesus, who are disenfranchised with the church, who maybe don't even care, never even thought about the church, find the church and find not just some Jesus, but the true Jesus. And I want to see him transform their lives. Will you chase that dream with me? That's my God dream for the River Church. What's your God dream? The dream that can only happen if God performs a miracle. The dream that can only happen if God raises a man from the dead. The dream that can only happen, and maybe you're sitting there right now going, it can't happen. Well, maybe it can. Maybe it can. These are my God dreams. What are your God dreams. He raised, look, he raised Lazarus from the dead. What can he do with your sorry butt? That's, that was self-talk. I was talking to myself. But this isn't just a story about faith. This isn't just a story about God's compassion for humanity. Ultimately, and what this truly is about, really what the whole reason, I believe, for this story is to show us and to reveal to you and me God's power over death. All of those other things are fantastic. All the, I, like, I believe that's so true about this story. But ultimately what this is about is God showing us that at the end of the day, he holds death in his hand. Ultimately, he's the victor over death. Because here's the thing. Here's some bad news I'm going to tell you. A few years later, Lazarus died again. Now, could you imagine being Lazarus? Like, you've already beaten death once, or you didn't. Jesus beat death. A couple years later, you're on your deathbed. You're like, what? I got to go through this again? A few years later, Lazarus died again. Only man in the world, I guess, that's died twice, for real, huh? That's crazy. Let me tell you the end of that story about the pastor, too. Two years later, his dad's tumor came back, and he died. Explain that. 
as they say, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. What do you do with that? God, God healed him miraculously. He shouldn't even be talking. He's talking, and two years later, he dies. That guy, Danny, that I was telling you about, the reason why they were telling me about his life transformed is because when I was in Butler, he had a heart attack and died less than a year after getting saved. What do you do with that, man? L- let me tell you something else. If, God, if I get sick and God miraculously heals me and I live for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 40 years, 100, maybe 200, I'm pretty healthy, I'm still going to die. I've got some really bad news for you because you may not be as healthy as me. It's going to get you too. And that's why we need this story. Because even though we may die, we will never die, Christian. If you know the power of the resurrection, if you know the power of Jesus, if Jesus has saved your soul and you have a relationship with him, Jesus, what he's screaming at you through this story is you have nothing to fear. I hold death in my hands. As he looks at the pain and the devastation around Lazarus' death, as he's looking at the hurting people, as he's looking at people crying, he walks towards death. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and he looks at death and says, I own you. Though you may hurt us for a time, in the end, the victory is mine. And the victory is yours. Because in Jesus, we have nothing to fear. And to quote the great Peter Pan, death is just the next adventure. (laughs) What he's screaming to us is though you may die, you will never die ever if you have a relationship with God today. With Lazarus, he defeats death for a moment. At the cross, he defeats death for all time. Praise God. Praise God. The greatest miracle isn't a few more years of life. The greatest miracle is salvation. And because of Christ, we have that hope today. And so today, we're going to worship him. And we're going to praise his name. And we're going to glorify him. And we're going to lift him up because he's a God who has compassion on his children. He's a God who loves his children. He's a God who looks at his hurting children and says, I walk with you. I love you. I'm here with you. He's a God who looks at you and says, your faith isn't big enough. Let's expand this. Let's do miracles. Let's transform lives. Let's bring healing and hope. And he's a God that says, though you may die, you may never die. I own death. Let's worship him for that today. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship him. Let's worship his name for those truths today. Amen? And I want to say this to you, man. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God, today is your day, man. We have people who are going to be hanging out at the sides right here in the aisles. And I want to encourage you, man. If you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you don't know guys, say, I don't don't know. Go and talk to one of those guys and figure out what you need to do because I want you to have that same victory that we're proclaiming today. I want you to have that same hope that we're proclaiming. I want you to know that same Jesus that we know today. And man, if you don't want to talk to any of those guys, they don't look friendly, I'm going to be right here on the front row worshiping God. You come talk to me, okay? So I'm going to pray and let's worship our God for he is good. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do at the cross. Thank you that you raise men from the dead, that you raise women from the dead and not just 
physically, but spiritually. You raise us to life in you that though we may die, we have nothing to fear because you are the God of the world. You are the healer of the world. You are the savior of the world, and you have come to bring life, and not just abundant life in this world, but abundant life in the next. God, you've come to bring hope and peace and life. Lord, give us life today. Let us worship you and honor you. May you be glorified today, Lord. May you be worshiped today for who you are. God, because we are so undeserving of that hope. We are so undeserving of that salvation, and yet you offer it freely anyways, God. Lord, we praise your name. We worship your name for you are so good to us and so kind to us, God. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.